Yes, you are dismissed. And uh, we're glad that you came and we're glad that you are here to uh, hear God's Word. You can grab your Bibles and we're going to be looking at Colossians 3 in just a minute. Uh, My name is Glenn and I have the joy of pastoring uh, the South and uh, teaching here most weeks. And um, I'm just grateful for the team that we have. The worship team did really well this morning. And I I just want to resonate with those words that you heard about Encounter God. I highly recommend that you get set free. Excuse me. The name changed. It will get there eventually. Um, set free. You should. Uh, it's coming at the end of October, and I believe in your announcement bulletin. There's details right there. One thing that um, we've been doing over the last few weeks is we've been working through our vision as a church, which is to see people transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley. That's why we, Willow Park Church, exist. And what does that look like? Well, we have an acronym that sums that up, which is Real Life, R-E-A-L. And so for three weeks, we took a weekend off last weekend, but three, three weeks prior to that, we were really jumping into the redeemed life. What does it mean to be a Christian? How do you become a Christian? What does that process look like? And we started right from creation and we looked at the fall and we moved through to conversion and how God chooses. And uh, then, we, then we carried on our teaching through to talking about justification and adoption. That now as Christians we are justified, we're declared innocent, that we no longer need to be held accountable for our sin eternally. Uh, and we're adopted, that we're children of God, that we're in God's family. And all those three things are things that are beautiful doctrines and theologies that are initiated and done by God. They are God's gift to us. There is nothing in there that we are really involved in, apart from the process of conversion. There's certainly confession and forgiveness and repentance. But those are all God's gift to us. Justification, adoption, conversion, all beautiful doctrines. Now we're moving into the E part of our vision, which is uh, empowered. How do we live an empowered life? Life. And in order for us to live an empowered life, we need to understand some important principles, some important truths that we're going to jump into starting today. And then next week, we're going to be looking at being filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? Which for some of you, especially those of you who have come from a more of a Pentecostal or charismatic background, you might have brought a whole truckload of baggage. And we all have baggage. Don't be offended. You might have brought a whole truckload of baggage of, well, baptism in the Spirit and speaking in tongues and and all that kind of stuff. We're going to jump into that over the next two weeks. And then uh, after the spiritual gift weekend, we'll be talking about spiritual gifts in uh, two weeks today. We'll do a question and answer, a text Sunday, uh, which I hope we'll find very helpful. But today, I want us to focus on us living in this kind of strange gap. It's the gap between what has already been done and the gap to, uh, of, of not yet. What do I mean by that? What's already been done? As a Christian, we have become a Christian by the gift of God. It's been done. And now we live in this gap of the not yet. We, we're, we're moving towards becoming more like Jesus, but not yet. How, how do I know we're living in the not yet? Because we kind of still worry we still struggle. We're still scared. 
We still get angry. We still have habits that we're trying to deal with. That we still get impatient. We look at our kids and we still struggle with how to best bring them up in a, in a godly way. There's this tension that we live in life where we want to see changes happen, but change just seems to happen at its own pace. Change is possible, and unlike our culture, change does not rely on you and your self-discipline and your ability and your power and your strength, because at some point that will all come to an end and you are still left with the issue, the challenge, the difficulty that you are trying to change. It keeps sneaking up and it's still there. The good news as a Christian is that we are promised change, the not yet, that we're promised the change By the power of God, that God lives in you to bring about that change. God dwells in you. See, God wants more than just this initial becoming a Christian. God wants more than that for us. He wants us to be transformed. He wants us to change. He wants us to become more like Jesus. And this empowered, this this section of the vision we're going into now is a declaration as a church, not only do we believe in a transformed life, the old gone, the new come, that that, that God impacts our souls and changes forever. That's the initial transformation. We believe in that. But we also believe in an ongoing transformation, a, a change that happens in our lives as we live life. Because that's what God's plan is for us. And the first thing I want us to see today is He wants to transform our lives. He wants our everyday experience to line up with what He has made us to be, which is righteous, the position we have. He wants us to think like Him, react like Him, to be like Him, to to live life like Him. That's His desire, that this ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus is God's plan for us. That's, That's His hope. That's His desire. And the good news as a Christian, we're actually on the journey towards that. Theologians call it progressive sanctification. This ongoing process of becoming more and more like Jesus is this progressive sanctification. I've used a visual in the past to describe to you what this sanctification looks like. And I'm going to do it again just to refresh your memory. Because for me, if you're anything like me, I, I think in metaphors and in visuals. And, and it's, it's my uh, throwback to when I was a teacher. And, and so I need, I, need a, uh, I need somebody who's willing to be Jesus, which has to be Jared because he has the beard to go with it. Come on, Jared, you can be Jesus. Uh, Drew, was, uh, Drew helped me with this last time. Drew's escaped. Maybe he knew... Um, and Brad, could you, could you come and not be Jesus? <laughs> okay, and as I said, I have done this before, but I just want you to remind you visually as to what... Well, so Brad, quite rightly, represents us as mankind, but not Christian. And he has a... <laughs> thank you, Brad. <laughs> It's always a risk, isn't it? Actually, both of this is a risk. I've just realized. So this represents the sin nature that we've talked about over the last three weeks as to this is the sin nature we're born with. Want proof? Have kids. Right? You don't teach your kid how to disobey or lie. It just is there. It's just that sin in them. And what do we do as humankind to try and deal with this? We work harder. We try and improve. We try and, uh, and try and make ourselves a better version of ourselves. 
failing all the time because we know deep down inside that is who we are. Before Jesus, Jesus is lived the perfect life that we are incapable of living. He has no, he's perfect. There's, there's no sin nature, there's perfection. This is what we call biblically righteousness. We talked a little bit about righteousness last week. So Jesus, in his grace and in his love, by the gift of God, was sent to earth, was this, re- this incarnation that we're going to be celebrating at Christmas, comes and lives the life that we find impossible to live because he's perfect. And by his love and by his choice and by his joy to follow the will of the Father, he says, okay, come, all those who are sinful, all who are weary, and I will release this burden. Believe in me and you may too have eternal life. You can have this righteousness. So what happens on the cross is that Jesus takes on this sin nature. The Bible actually says he becomes sin. He becomes sin. This is the great exchange we talked about. Sin is imputed onto Jesus and on the cross, it dies with him. So our sin is dealt with. The punishment we truly deserve is dealt with by Jesus' death. It's imputed onto Jesus. That which we are incapable of dealing with ourselves is placed upon Jesus. It says in Galatians, he becomes a curse. He becomes sin. It dies on the cross. And then something beautiful happens. On the third day, he rises again. And the promise is, is that there's unity. See, this is what atonement is. No, (laughs) calm down. See, there's separation between God and man because of the sin. We can have nothing to do with God because God can have nothing to do with sin. See, the atonement is the at-one-ment of Jesus Christ. God and man coming together. And then this beautiful thing happens. You stood on my righteousness, Debra. <laughs> so now we have Jesus' righteousness imputed onto our life. So when God looks at us, what he sees... Can you hold that, please, Jesus? Thank you. When God looks at us, he sees us justified. He sees his son's gift of righteousness on our life. And he says, now Come. There's no separation. You're part of the family. This is our legal standing. Do you remember I said that a few weeks ago? We are legally righteous. However, and this is what we're talking about over the next few weeks. There's this remnant of sin. These are the habits. These are the struggles. This is the, the issues, the anger, the impatience, the lust, the jealousy. The, the list goes on. Sometimes it just feels like it's overwhelming. But God says, no, this is who you are. And we still seem to struggle with this sin in our lives. So this is what we're going to be looking at visually over the next three weeks. We're going to look at how this sanctification, this this progressive sanctification happens in our life where eventually we become completely like Jesus. But now this is where you and I are. Some of you feel like this. I've got good news for you. If you're a Christian, your legal standing is that. This is a lie of the enemy. This, is, this doesn't belong. So over the years, as Jesus and God works on our lives by his Holy Spirit that we're going to be looking at over the next two weeks, this reduces until eventually in eternity, we'd be perfect like Jesus. That's what visually we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. This is the good news. 
See, people try and deal with this themselves in our culture, and it fails. We spend billions of dollars trying to get like this. And Jesus says, free gift. You can have it. Just come to me, believe, confess, believe in the death that I died on the cross for you so you could have the life that you cannot live by yourself. But we still have this. This is not our nature anymore. This is our nature, but this is sometimes our habit. How do we deal with that? Okay, so that's what we're going to look at in the next few weeks. Thank you, gentlemen. You did a sterling job. Yes, give them a big round of applause. Thank you, Brad. See, God's commitment to us is that he wants us to become that which he's declared us to be. I say it again. God's commitment to us is he wants us to become, in life, that which he has declared us to be eternally, which is righteous. That's called sanctification. It's this process of becoming more like Jesus. And God, listen, please, God uses people, things, circumstances, chaos, challenge, sickness, anything... He'll use anything in order to progressively sanctify you. It's in struggle that we often become more like Jesus. Not all the time. I'm not saying you can't become like Jesus when be happy and joyful. But all of you, I'm sure, have been through a challenge. You've been Christians long enough will know that the greatest time of, uh, of, of growth comes through struggle. See, he's relentlessly, persistently committed to working on you as a Christian to make him more and more and more like his son Jesus. Not just a bit better, not an improved version of the black, but new. So this initial change happens in an instant. That imputed righteousness and imputed sin on Jesus and imputed righteousness, that change in us happens instantly. But the sanctification, the progressive sanctification, happens as part of a journey. It's a process. And so today, what we're going to look at is two really important things that we need to have in our minds, in our spirits, in our hearts as we approach life. You need to understand that your sanctification hinges on these two things. It's like a framework, if you like, for transformation. A framework for transformation. Number two. I'm losing my voice. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I just gasped by you. It would be good. Colossians 3. I told you we'd get there. Colossians 3. And verse 1 to 4. I hope you've got your Bibles, but we will show it on the screen. But it's great if you've got your Bibles. Scribble on it. Make it yours. Hope you've got your journals. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Let's read this. If then you have been raised with Christ, that was what we just saw, as being raised with Christ, His righteousness. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. That's where Jesus is now. At the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So listen to this and visualize what I just showed you. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you remember that? Hidden. That's the conversion. That's the God's gift to you. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life, again visualize what I just showed you, appears, then you also would appear with him in glory. So all that has already happened. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. 
Now, do you notice how Paul's language is very clear? Now, Glenn, you have a job to do. Because of all this, here's where your work comes in. You don't work for that. That's a gift to you. But because of that, please hear me, because of that, this is where your work comes in. We just sang it. We do because we love him. He died that death that I deserve. Therefore, I'm going to work hard at putting to death, verse 5, those things that are earthly in you. For example, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, Brad covered in black sheet. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Remember the black sash, if you like, over Brad? That's got to reduce. You've got to put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Sounds like an average day in kindergarten. From your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Can you see how this visual, it plays out here? Which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Wow. So we have this new self and he's saying, put on that which is actually you. Stop doing that which is not you. Those are earthly things. You used to live in those things. Your whole life was shrouded in death and sin and malice and sexual morality and all those other lists that he gives us. That was your whole life. But now, he says, because you are hidden in Christ, put off those things. Don't have anything to do with them. And notice, friends, this is very important. We do the work. The whole tone of that passage is not... I'm just going to sit around and drift into godliness. No, you do. You do. Why? Because he did. You don't do in order to get that. Now, there's other religions would say, you've got to work hard, do this, do that, don't do this, don't go there, don't listen to that. You must do these practices, these uh, practices, these sacrifices in order to get God to love you. And Christians say, no, 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 you get all that regardless of who you are, but once you get it, once you get it, there's things we have to do. The first thing, if you notice in this passage that we have to do, is we have to set our minds on the things that are above. So in order for us to actually action the life that God has planned for us, the real life, in order for us to put that into action, we've got to start here. We've got to start in our thinking in our mind. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. In order for us to have our lives transformed by the Holy Spirit, we have to set our thinking right. It's a new way of thinking. A new way of thinking. And this is why I wanted to show you this visual because you need to understand who you are before you can start thinking like you are. You're a Christian. You're accepted. You're loved. You're no longer going to be judged for the sins that you willingly committed. God says, come, be part of me, and I'll be part of you. And maybe that's not your experience this morning. Maybe you're just trying to deal with all that black yourself. Well, it ain't going to work. You need Jesus. 
But once you are in Christ, you have to think a different way. And it can take years and years and years to get that as part of our daily existence. Have a new way of thinking. What is the, t- the new way of thinking? Well, first of all, we've got to think on, the Bible says, those things that are above. And the Bible says, off those things that are on earth. So it's very simple. Think about these things. Don't think about those things. Okay. Great. Romans 2 verse, uh, sorry, 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I am so grateful that we have the vision that we do. To see lives transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley. That's our vision as a church. And I will say it every week. Lives transformed. Lives transformed. But it doesn't stop there. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. What's that ongoing process look like? By the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You've got to reprogram your thinking. When I was, uh, when I was teaching in, in Britain, um, I, uh, I, when I first qualified to be a teacher, we lived, and you've heard me talk many times about Rill because it's an iconic uh, world center of culture and beauty. Um, Google it and you'll see that I'm being slightly facetious. But that's where we lived. And, and in order to get from where I was teaching in a place called Colwyn Bay... I would travel every morning from where we lived in Rill. I would travel and I can could, I could map out the route in my mind. I remember it very clearly because I would drive past four castles, genuine castles, not Disney castles, actual thousand-year castles. Apart from one castle, one castle which was called, you ready? <clears throat> Gwerch Castle in, in, in Wales. And don't ask me to spell it because it's not as pretty as it sounds. Gwerch Castle. And that was what we called a we they called a mock fake castle because it was only 500 years old. Don't count that in Britain. It's not a real castle. It's a wannabe castle. Like if we had that here, we'd be freaking out, wouldn't we? But in Britain now, we've got enough of them. That's a fake one. So we travel. I passed that one. And there'd be these four castles that I drive past. It's a beautiful journey. And, and uh, along the seafront, and I'm painting it so beautifully. And picture, it is a very nice Road and, and I remember on my way home, in order to get home from the school, I would drive along the A55, which was like a, a dual carriageway, so there's four lanes, and there'd be this turnoff, and I would take the same turnoff, Pensan and Abigaili turnoff. This just sounds like strange to you, I know, but come there, and then I'd, I'd drive down the coast. Pete Bennett probably remembers all these areas. So I'd cut that turnoff, I was programmed. And you know what it's like when you just do the same journey day in, day out? You come off on that. It's just robotic. You're programmed to do that. You do it uh, um, just, by, just because you've done it so often by habit. But then we moved house. We started pastoring a church in another city or another town. And so now the turnoff I took, because I used to work at the same time as pastoring, was further along the A55. The times, friends, the times I would take that Abigailian Pensan turnoff instead of the next one along. Because my brain was programmed to go down a certain turnoff. And then it took me a long time. I, I tell you, almost every day seemed that even when I drove past it, I would have to mentally remember, I don't go down there. Why don't I go down there? Because I don't live there anymore. That's not my town anymore. 
I live in a different town. I live in a different city. I'm a citizen of a different place. I don't live in that place anymore. I've got to take my mind off that place and on my new place. Otherwise, I'd never get home. I'm just going to be going down that turnoff every day and going round and round and roundabout until I remembered, oh, hang on a second, I don't belong here. I better get back to where I belong. Is that not a picture of our lives? Where we are given turnoffs in our lives constantly, that we have a choice as to whether or not to go down the turnoff to a place that we no longer live. A decision that takes us to a thinking, a a habit, an, an act, an action, a reaction that, no, I don't live there anymore. I live in a different city. I live in a, I'm a citizen of a different place, a different way of life. I have to captivate my thoughts to stop me going down that road because otherwise I'm never going to get to that road. It's just going to take me longer. I have a new identity. You see, the Holy Spirit, we'll be looking at this more next week, but the Holy Spirit has been given to us as one of the ways to actually stop us going down the Lay by the, 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 down the turnoff. He literally stands there and goes, look, stop. I was disappointed when Sarah got me this. Because, I'll tell you why. Because I wanted it to say, go. What? Like, stop. I'll give you a di- No, and I'm going to change my mind. Now you can go. Oh, no, wait. See, this is KCS. This is Scott. It's just like, no and no. It's no, mm, let me think, no. See, it's the Holy Spirit is like, and if you, if you use the analogy of the turnoff, he's saying, look, stop. Have you ever, you're not going to put your hands up, I will admit on behalf of you all, have you ever actually not seen somebody with one of these and drove past? Don't need to answer. Have you ever gone through an intersection on red? It's gone very quiet. We'll pray for you all later. We have that choice. I mean, I could just bust through Anne McClement's school zone, regardless of uh, Shauna waving the stop sign as she does most mornings. I could go, hey, I'm going. That's my choice. Is it going to end well? No, because I think Shauna could probably catch up with me and hit me with this, I think. She's probably more than capable. But I have that choice. You see, the Holy Spirit is like that for us. They'll say, look, no. Why, why, are you, why are you going there? Why are you listening to that? Why are you watching that? Why are you surfing that? Stop. You don't live there anymore. This is the wrong turn off for you. you. You're on a different path. Don't say that. Don't go there. Don't download that app. Don't pick up the phone and say that. It's this constant, beautiful, Holy Spirit-guided stop action in our lives that we have the choice to burn through. Will it end well? Does it take you where you are supposed to be as a child of God? No. So how do you set your mind on the things above and off the things below Well, I'll give you a little list very quickly. Number one, read your Bible. The more you listen to the words of God from the Word of God, then the more it transforms your thinking. A Christian who does not read his or her Bible is a weak Christian. 
A Christian who's going to go down every turnoff that Satan will make sure he presents you with every day, subtly and not so subtly. You won't even be able to see it because we'll hear next week, I'll tell you how the Holy Spirit actually speaks to us. But if you don't read your Bible, you are so open to death and sin and earthliness. But Glenn, you know, you don't, I, I don't have the time. Okay, I don't think I even need to preach on that. We all have the time, but we choose not to. Number two, listen to the whisper. You know, I've had people, especially young people, say, well, I, I, you know, how do you hear God speak? I tell you what, God talks to us all the time. What do you think put it into your mind to come to church this morning? Do you think that was Satan? You better get to church. If it was, please book in a coffee with me because lo- I'd love to chat with you. But what, what, what prompted you? What prompts you? What whispers? We know when we're going down the wrong turn off. Number three, follow through in obedience. Follow through. Don't do it. But how, how do you not do something? Like that? You just don't. We have that ability. We have that power as humans. But we have more ability, more power than we could ever ask for because of the righteousness and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives, because of the gift of righteousness that Jesus has given to us through the cross. We have that ability. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. Will you mess up? Yes, you will go down that side road. But I'm thankful that we have a God who loves and cares and says, just come. Stop going around the roundabout and get back onto the right track. Confess, seek forgiveness, go to set free, come to the cross, worship. And there's that path back to where we ought to be. And then fourth, and many of us do not like this, accountability in community. We are not created to live life in isolation. We need somebody to go, wait, that's not right. Stop that, put that down, and don't even go there. Somebody who loves you enough to say, okay, let's talk. Because I want to get you because you're just about halfway down that slip road and you don't belong there and is willing to help you back community groups friends if you're not in a community group you're in isolation and you will find that your accountability perhaps is minimal if you don't have strong accountability in your life then you will be a weak christian if you're not in a community group we have many community groups on different nights and some in the day and some do art and talk about jesus and others just it's we've got all sorts of community groups and we would love to connect you into one of those but glenn i don't have time okay We have a community group, especially for people who don't have time. Glenn and Sarah's community group is for people who don't have time, who have got, some of us, many kids and activities. You can make time for that which we find most important. So we need to get our thinking right, first of all. We need to set our mind on the things above. And then, secondly, the Bible says, put the old self to death. The only healthy sin is a dead sin. The healthiest sin is a dead sin. Verse 5 to 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That's a pretty vehement word. Put to death. Not, mm, let's think about it and cuddle it for a bit. No, put to death. Well, maybe we could just discuss. No, put it to death. It does not belong in your life. And you can do it, Christian, Paul says. 
And then he goes on in, in verse 9. Do not lie to one another. He's saying, don't do it. Seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices. Put on the new self. Put off the old self. We come to that signpost and it says anger. It says wrath. It says malice. It says slander, gossip, lying. It says sexual immorality. It says impurity. It says evil desire. All those things, if we were presented with a sign that said that, we would go, yeah, it's a clear stop. Should I go on the internet and look at inappropriate material? Obviously, no. Although I have heard people with me in certain counseling situations try and argue that it's okay. No, no, no. It's a stop. Should I have an affair with this person? No, it's a stop. Should I get unrighteously anger? No, it's a stop. There's some things that are clearly, obviously wrong. There are other clear stop signs, things that are wrong in the Bible, that you, know, uh, that you could say, well, it doesn't specifically mention this in the Bible, so it's okay. It doesn't actually specifically mention masturbation, so that's okay. No, it's a stop. Because you can't do that without lusting. Stop. Don't do it. So there are other things in the Bible that are a clear stop that may not be mentioned. But then there's a whole whack load of interesting signposts that will lead you away. Nothing wrong with the signpost in itself. Nothing wrong with the turnoff in itself. But it's where the turnoff leads and gets to that is wrong. There's nothing wrong with spending time on the computer. That's not a clear stop. I wrote this sermon on a computer. There are good things that you can do on a computer. But if you being on the computer so long leads you down the path towards a stop, then you should have stopped going on the computer so much. There are things that we do that other people might say, oh, there's nothing wrong with that, that ultimately will lead us to a place that is distant from Christ. Maybe it's a certain film or a type of music or something you like to read. Or maybe it's an app on the phone that in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that app, but it's where it leads you that is wrong. So don't use the app. Take it off your phone. Maybe it's hanging out with a certain person, talking to a certain person, going with a certain crowd that you can say, well, they're okay in and of themselves, but eventually it will lead you to a place of sinfulness, then we need to stop. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So how do we put these things to death? Well, firstly, and very simply, we need to identify those things that we know for ourselves in our life will result in sin and death, and, and we need to avoid them. S- identify those things that draw you away from Jesus and don't do them. And I'm making it sound very easy, and in and of itself, in your own power, it's very hard. But if we dwell on the fact that we're covered in righteousness, and that the more we read our Bible, and the more time we consciously place ourselves into community, and the more we get to church, and the more we pray, and we actually have these disciplines in our life, the less inclined you are to actually wander down the side roads that lead to sin and death. So identify those things that draw you away from Jesus and don't do them. But you've done the work to be able to say don't by setting your mind and your life right. We all have this wonderful list. Please listen to this. 
we all have this wonderful list that I like to call that doesn't count list. Yeah, but Glenn, that doesn't count. Downloading illegal music and movies off the computer. Ah, but Glenn, come on. That doesn't count. Looking for just a little bit too long at somebody who is of the opposite sex that isn't your uh, husband or wife or somebody you're in a relationship. Yeah, that doesn't count, does it? Spending so long on Instagram and social media, on Facebook, that all you can think about is you're bored, you immediately just go on, that's what you do. Yeah, but Glenn, that doesn't count. Because it's not doing anyone any harm. Yeah, it is. You. <laughs> you. It does do us harm. Do you know what I think one of the cleverest tactics of the enemy is in our world? It's distraction. He's given us so many things now in this culture to distract us from reading the word or getting to church or being in community. And and in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with it. But we have so many distractions that fill our mind and our thinking that we are drawn to that ultimately draw us away from Jesus. And we put them in, they doesn't count, but it does count if it draws us away from Jesus. And we're all different. And we're quick to judge, oh, that's fine. Because it's fine for you. It might not be fine for somebody else. It could be social media. It could be gaming. It could be reading. It could be TV. It could be an activity that we enjoy doing year-round. It, it could be staying up late. It could be lying in too long. It could be any of these things. Yeah, but that doesn't count. It does count if it leads us away from Jesus. That's why Paul says it's a race. It's endurance. We've got to fight this thing. Why? Because it makes us like Jesus. And it's the way, the real life that we were created to live. So ask yourself, is it drawing you to Jesus, this thing that you were doing? Or is it drawing you away from Jesus? Is it fueling your passion for him? See, Paul looked at his life and he said, I don't want any of those things. I count them all as rubbish that I might know him. I just want to know Jesus. Everything I do, I want it to be passionate about him because that's the way we were created to be and it's the most fulfilling, joy-filled, purpose-filled life. It's the best way to bring your kids up. It's the best way to endure a boring job if you have Jesus. Is it drawing you away? Is it fueling passion? For Jesus, or is it fueling passion for the earth? Not creation, but those sinful habits that we all struggle with. We have to be on our guard all the time. That's why it says in Hebrews 12, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, then set and let us run with endurance. It's hard. As I pull this together, we tend to overlook and dismiss and go, oh, it's fine. I've said to you before a couple of years ago, Christian's favorite F word, it's fine. How are you? Fine. How are things going? Fine. Should you be doing that? Oh, it's fine. Meanwhile, we decay inside because the F word that seems to rule our life is drawing us down paths that we don't belong and the cities that we no longer live in. And we wonder why we get caught up with worry and anger and desperation and, 
all these things that pull us down. We wonder why. And we say, God, why don't you do something about this? And he said, I've done everything I need to do on the cross. I've given you the ability. Now it's over to you to stop that. Not so that you can gain that. That's legalism. That's religion. It's wrong. But because of that, I want you to be like my son. And I will do everything I can and put everything possible in front of you to get you back on the right road. A situation, a health issue, a person... Uh, um, a, a, a challenge in your life, all is to orient us back to the alignment which we belong. But we do not say it's fine. See, believing in sanctification is an admittance that we are not fine. On one of my first Sundays preaching in this church, a few years ago now, edging up to our fifth anniversary, I said, I want this place to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay because that's an admittance that we need Jesus and we need his empowerment and we need his ability. We need to get into community. This is why I'm passionate. I know some of you might roll your eyes and go, oh, he's banging on about getting to church and in community groups again. There's a reason because you flourish in that. And my heart and God's heart is that you flourish and thrive in this Christian life that he's given you as a gift. Get into community. Make it a habit. Don't live in isolation. Stop saying I'm fine when we're not. I'm so grateful there is freedom to be found in Jesus Christ. I am so grateful that he has done everything that he needs to do in order to make me right he's done on the cross. Because I'm rubbish at that. I just stay shrouded in that blackness. It's not going to help. But I'm actually, this is my life. This is who I really am. And I want to think this way, not that way. I want to think in alignment with this. And I'm so grateful he doesn't go, well, all the best with that. He actually gives me the Holy Spirit to be able to do that, which is we're going to jump into next week. But for today, I want to ask you that some of the questions that I have presented to you, I, I really want you to spend time this week prayerfully considering. Where, where are you at with that? Oh, it doesn't count. It's fine. It does. It does count. It's not fine. It's not where God created you to be. You're struggling because of that. And ask the Holy Spirit, show me what, what are the turnoffs that I keep going down that I just don't belong in and he is loving and gracious to go well as that if you're not sure ask somebody who loves you they'll be happy to point them all out to you let me give you a list father i thank you that you don't just give us your son and then say all the best over to you god we need you Holy Spirit, we need to be filled by you. We need our sensitivity to be so in tune with your heart for us. God, I pray for the people in the room and we all stand together in this church. Let's let's stand together as we pray. Lord, we stand before you and we admit, Lord, that we continually go down turnoffs and that we don't belong down. Forgive us, Lord, for chasing after those things that ultimately draw us away from you. And Lord, I pray 
there are for any in the room who just seem like they're so distant from the right track that God, even before the end, before we finish singing, that Lord, that you will have reminded, you will have whispered how much you love them, how precious they are in your sight, that when you look at them, you see your son Jesus and his sacrifice, that Lord, that they would remember their first love and hear your whisper and confess and come back to you. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, that it is filled with people who are not okay. And that's okay. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us about community groups and about Sundays and about all the ways that we can position ourselves well to hear your voice. Lord, I pray this week that we would go out of our way to read our Bible and to hear your words and to be continually transformed and changed. And finally, Lord, I thank you for those people, Lord, who with strength and with faith and with passion stand in the midst of great difficulty, but they stand on the right track despite the challenges, Lord. I thank you for the example they set to us in this church, for their love and their faith of you. Lord, let us learn from that. Praise your name, Lord. Thank you.